Now, if you have a Bible, would you open it to the book of Psalm, chapter 81? Praise the Lord. Of course, we have been in the last few weeks speaking of the parallels of faith that are found with the, uh, the patriarchs, that are found specifically uh, with the Israelites going into the promised land, how a whole generation died because they were unwilling to believe God. And then the next generation went in because they were willing to believe God. Big difference, right? So uh, it's a big deal that we learn and train ourselves to depend wholly on God. Fully. Now here's the deal. It's easy, and, and religion has taught us how to depend on God for certain things. How many of you would get up and preach in front of everybody without spending any time in prayer? Anybody here? If I asked you, you know what, you're, tag, you're it. Wednesday night, you're preaching. Would you just not, not spend any time with the Lord and just go, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll play some video games. I'll show up, see what happens. We'll just, we'll just go back and forth and we'll see what comes out of it. You wouldn't do that, would you? I remember what it was like when I was asked to preach my first time in front of a bunch of people. I spent way more time than, than was normal. Uh, I was just saying, God, you've got to help me. Give me something, Lord. You know, I mean, maybe I stepped out of faith and into desperation a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just wanted God to speak through me. And uh, so we're, we're used to relying on God for things like that. We're used to relying on God to show us how to pray. We're used to relying on God if somebody is sick and God wants them healed. We rely on God to, to, to bring healing to them. We don't rely on ourselves, right? Because you're fully aware that I have no power to heal this person. So it's easy to rely on God. When somebody needs an arm that has to grow out, you say, not hard for me to rely on God because I know I can't fix that. So my only choice is to rely on God. But there are other areas in life where you can kind of limp along relying on your own strength, as, as Pastor Brownie talked about today. You can limp along relying on what you can do and what you know to do and uh, fake it long enough to think that you're actually doing the work, that you're actually providing for yourself. Uh, finances are a great uh, opportunity to think about that because, uh, you know, the world relies on their their job, they rely on their bank, they rely on their investments, that's what they rely on and we have to be retrained we have to go to detox to learn how to rely on God and live by faith and God is training us to do that but you know it's not just finances, it's a lot of other things, you know we've heard many for many years you may have heard somebody say um, you know when my strength ran out that's when I looked to Jesus and that's silly because He was meant to be your strength from the start. Do you know, when I'm in a low state, then I remember that I can look to Jesus and He'll lift me up. Well, you should have looked to Him to start with. God is not trying to be your supplement. He's not trying to be an addition to who you are. He wants to be everything to you. And He really wants to train us how to rely completely on the Lord in every area. So not just in spiritual areas as we think of spiritual your life is spiritual. So God is training us to rely on Him in everything. Everything from job 
everything from to relationships to family to uh, to to things in church absolutely but all over the board all across the board god is training us rely completely on me and who i am when we do that it's easy to walk by faith when you've just trained yourself that he is everything and you're not having to say is this a spiritual thing or is this a natural thing everything is spiritual everything is meant to be relied fully on God. And so you can do this. And of course, this is what he's training the Israelites to do as they went out of the promise, as they went out of Egypt into the promised land. They had to learn not to rely on the Egyptian supply system. Remember the things they missed was the Egyptian food? Never mind that after you ate that food, somebody whipped you. But oh, garlic, onions, and leeks. Flesh pots, they called it. You know, that just means stew. They put meat in, you know. Stew. We missed the stew. All these things. They were tortured in Egypt. They were miserable in Egypt. But once they got out, it was so hard for them to learn to depend fully on God supplying for them. To depend on that manna. Remember, he said, collect the manna every day, but only enough for that day. Don't, don't collect extra for tomorrow. What was that teaching them? That, well, that was training them because what they would do is, if, if they weren't quite sure that God would come through tomorrow or they didn't want to you know, go outside tomorrow, they'd collect extra and say, okay, well, I don't even have to worry about tomorrow. But God wanted them to rely on Him every day. So He says, every day I will provide for you. The only day you don't need to collect is on the Sabbath. Day before the Sabbath, I'll give you twice as much. So some of them tested the theory. They gathered a little bit extra. And God had warned them. So they ate that night and they're satisfied and oh man it's delicious and then the next morning they look at the stuff that they had saved and it's eaten up by worms and that you know none of us want wormy manna uh, wormy oatmeal or any wormy anything right and so that kind of ruined it for them kind of spoiled their appetite but God was teaching them to, to rely on him I'm, he, he called water out of a rock there was a poison stream that he made uh, potable again. I mean, he, he did this. Saying, rely on me. Completely. And every year, they had to reevaluate who am I relying on. It's sad to read the book of Judges and realize that in the book of Judges, God would send them a judge. And the judge would be a, an, an intermediate between God and the nation. And he'd, he'd judge them, yes. He'd, he'd rule over them. But he was not really ruling himself. He wasn't a king. He was just a, a spokesman for God. And his one message would always be, or her, in the case of people like Deborah, the message would be, you know, return to the Lord. Rely on Him. He's your source. He's your rock. He's your strength. And then when that judge would die, every time, guys, they did the same stupid thing. They'd start relying on other things. They'd start looking to other gods and other things. And sure enough, another nation would come and would oppress them. And then they'd cry out to God and go, God, why did you leave us? And God says, I didn't leave you. You left me. And he raises up another judge, delivers them. And for a while, as long as that judge is alive, they trust God. Then the guy dies and they go back to their old ways. Well, we're not of that group. We're going to rely on God no matter whether it's good or whether it's bad. We're relying on Him. He is our source. He is our strength. He is our rock. In Psalm 81, we find a psalm that was written for the Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Trumpets 
Thank God, when God wanted you to mark a, a, an anniversary or remember something, He didn't tell them to come solemnly together and, and, and quote a bunch of poems. When God wanted them to remember something, He proclaimed a feast. And uh, the Feast of Trumpets was, was a fairly solemn uh, feast as, as feasts go. Because the Feast of Trumpets came before the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Trumpets actually fell on the, on the original Hebrew New Year. Rosh Hashanah was not the original Hebrew New Year. See, the, the Hebrews had a different calendar system. And when they went into Babylon, they switched to the Babylonian system. And so when they were in the Babylonian system, they went by their months, and they had a different first day of the year. That's what we know, now know as Rosh Hashanah. Uh, but before that, they had the Hebrew calendar, and the first day of the Hebrew year, they, they would celebrate this, the Feast of Trumpets. And there'd be a time where, where the trumpets would be blown on that day, now, once a month, the trumpets were blown anyways, but it was short blasts. On this day, there were long, continuous blasts of the trumpet. And it was meant to signify the judgment day of God. And it was meant to bring them to a place where they'd stand before God and recognize that they had fallen short because what's about to come is the day of atonement where God would forgive them of all their sins. So before they could get forgiveness, they had to acknowledge that we need it. Before they could receive grace, they had to acknowledge, I need it. You know, before you came to Jesus and received His free gift, His free grace, His free forgiveness, you had to acknowledge that I need forgiveness. If you thought you were good enough, you wouldn't have come to Him. But we came to Him knowing we weren't good enough. And He made us good enough, thank God. So they'd stand before uh, they'd stand before the priest. The priest would blow the trumpet and they'd remember, oh, man, I, I've fallen short, but thank God in a few days, the Day of Atonement, God will overlook my shortcomings. And in a picture of what Jesus would do, they would place the sin on a goat and send it outside the camp, just as Jesus bore our sin outside of the camp. So it was a solemn day, but it was also a celebration. So every year, they've got to remember... We said we'd serve the Lord. Every year, they're reminded what God has done for them. Is it, it's sort of weird to me to read this and realize that God had to make His own pitch. Like, we're talking about the Creator of all mankind. We're talking about the greatest God. We're talking about, the, I mean, just the most wonderful being in the universe and above the universe. God Himself, right? And He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your Father. You'd think we'd have to make our pitch to Him. And he's making a pitch to us. Is it strange to you that God pursued you? That's not how it works in the world. Come on, guys. You went to junior high. You know the pretty one doesn't chase the ugly one around. It's the way it works. If you're the ugly one, you've got to work harder. I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't play around in junior high. Thank God. But, I, you know, when it, my wife did come, I'm aware that I, I did marry up and I have a pretty wife. Thank God. She's much more than just pretty. She's beautiful. And uh, God brought us together or else it wouldn't have happened. And uh, I just, you know, you know how it is when you're the, the pimply, freckly one in junior high. I mean, maybe you were like me and you didn't chase that stuff in junior high. But, but let's just see. It's logical that the, uh, the better one is the one that holds out. 
and the one that knows they don't quite measure up, they got to work a little harder, and they chase, and they pursue, and they do everything they can to reel that big fish in. And it's so funny to think about the fact that God is perfect, and He chases us. He pursues us, and He desires us. And then we're the ones who are ashamed to tell our friends about Him. Isn't that weird? That also fails the junior high rule. You know? We would think... That we'd be, if, we, if anybody was embarrassed of anybody, we'd be embarrassed of our friends before God. But instead, we're embarrassed of God in front of our friends. Maybe you say, that's not you, praise the Lord. But isn't that a weird thing that, that the Bible has to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? The gospel's the best news that humanity has ever heard. Why would I be ashamed of it? And so <laughs> every year, God would make His pitch return to me. And of course, you know, it would seem obvious, of course. And God would remind them, here's what I've done for you. Haven't I earned your trust? Haven't I earned your faith? He says this in Psalm 81. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. And you know when he says shout joyfully, they don't sit there and nod and go, "Mm mm-hmm, good word, good word. (laughs) See, we've been so religiously trained that we learn how to do that, right? We can read this and go shout joyfully. Ah, that's good. That's good. Are you shouting? Inside I'm shouting. It's an inner shout. And when I, when I have an inner shout, my eyebrows go up. When he says in Psalms, praise the Lord. People don't go, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. No, you start praising the Lord. If somebody said, go talk to Jared, I wouldn't go up to Jared and go, talk to Jared, talk to Jared, talk to Jared. (laughs) I'd actually talk to him. You see, we got to get out of this old church mindset where we just, we read this and we go, oh, oh, that's good, that's good, I enjoy this. Uh, Very well said. Couldn't have put it better myself, good lad. We need to read it and say, he says, okay, shout joyfully. So what they did when he said, sing for joy, they started singing. When he said, shout joyfully, it was obligatory. Shout! That's what they did. And it says, shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. In other words, the God of their fathers. The God of their nation. He says, raise a song. Strike the timbrel. The sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon. At the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel. An ordinance for the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph. When he went throughout the land of Egypt, I heard a language that I did not know. I relieved, now here this is God talking, I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. So listen, he says, you had a burden on your shoulders, I relieved it. Your hands were bound to your work, I freed them. He said, he said that, After I freed your hands from the basket, you called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, just to think about what in the world is the hiding place of thunder. But you know, our God is not a wimpy tea party God. Like tea party that little kids have with rabbits and things. Our God is not just a sit around and and quietly meditate on things. Our God is a God of awesome power. 
And he said, I responded to you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. He said, I proved you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. That means, let's stop, let's do a musical interlude, let's think about this for a bit. Let's meditate on what I just said. Don't just let that go by. Think about it. Let it sink in, what I just said to you. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you. Nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. We're going to go back to that in a minute. But my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. You see, that's what happened when they stopped following God. The bad road, the road they should never have taken, was the road of their own devices. Now, maybe you don't talk like that today. You don't say to your friends, oh, I just I went down the road, I, I started to walk in my own devices. But let me put it in common, plain English. This is doing what you think is best. Instead of what he says. This is using your noggin to figure out the best route for you. And you may think, that's the best I can do. That's what Oprah told me to do. But here's what God is telling you to do. Look to me. I'll give you plans that don't make sense to you. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with God giving us a plan that is crazy? You gotta be. The only re it's not actually crazy, don't worry. It only seems crazy because you can't wrap your brain around it yet. But if you let your heart connect to it, if you let your spirit reach out in faith and say, I may not get why, that, why that's going to happen, but I believe it. It's like, the, it's like the disciples, their very first lesson. Before they were even disciples, before Peter was a disciple, his first lesson, here's, he's, he's already a fan of Jesus. He's been showing up at Jesus' meetings. His mother-in-law has already been healed. But he's not yet a disciple. And one day he's cleaning his nets, and he's worked all night and caught nothing. Do you know in the Israeli sun, the time to fish is not the middle of the day. The time to fish is at night. Even here, that's true. Right? Early morning, evening, it's the best time to catch fish. You can imagine in that hot Middle Eastern climate, fishing in the middle of the day, you'd catch nothing. They, they fished at night. And they'd worked all night and hadn't caught anything, which is not a good time to go fishing. And he's cleaning his nets, and there's a big crowd... Uh, just at the beach to hear Jesus. And Jesus is getting pushed back by the crowd. So he finally gets pushed back to the water and he just commandeers a boat. He just goes, oh, hey, you. Okay, I'm taking your boat. And he gets in. He goes, Simon, I, I know you. Hey, it's good to see you again. I, I'm going to use your boat. And Simon's like, okay, I guess so. And so Jesus gets in and he gets in the boat and he starts to preach. And when, he, when he's done, he's like, hey, Simon, push your boat out for a catch. And Simon goes, well, we already did. We tried didn't work you know, we, we, we did everything we knew to do we're professional fishermen here and Jesus goes just, just do it so they did and of course what happens they catch so much fish the nets start to break then when they get the fish in the boat the boats start to sink now you know that this wasn't just a matter of better fishing techniques that Jesus is like, aha, I know something you don't. Cast it on the other side. Do you remember when he said that? After he was risen from the dead. He said it another time too. But after he's risen from the dead, he goes, hey, you know, they've been 
fishing, catching nothing. He goes, try it on the other side. Well, you know, the boats aren't that big. So it's not like there's a ton of fish over here and then no fish over here. That doesn't make any sense. It's a miracle. And what happened was because Simon or Peter was able to say, this doesn't make any sense to a professional fisherman, but if Jesus said to do it, I'm going to do what sounds crazy, and I'm going to see what happens. Because he did that, he catches more fish than he can handle. So you've got to get used to the fact that God will give you plans that go against your brain, your own devices. They make no business sense. Get used to that. Delight in that. Abraham's business sense was, was different too. When he actually wins a battle, he goes in and rescues Lot, and there's a king that wants to load him down with loot. And he goes, I don't want any of your money. He says, I don't even want a shoelace from you. Because here's what you'll say. You'll say, when, I, when I'm rich, you're going to say, you made me rich, and I don't need you. So, you know, the wisdom of the Lord might tell you to turn down a really good job offer. The wisdom of the Lord might tell you to turn down a raise. They may tell you to take the raise. I don't know. But it's God. And the things He has to say to you don't always make sense. And when you go back to your own devices and start to figure out how life should be, you're turning away from God's plan, which is better. Now here's what it says. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Verse 13. That Israel would walk in my ways. You know, His ways are different, but His ways are higher. I would quickly, here's what would happen if they'd start listening to me, I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him and their time of punishment would be forever. But, here's what I'd do for you, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Praise God. You know, we're talking about serving the Lord and, 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 and just relying completely on Him. And you know, that comes down to a lot of things. It comes down to, to where your heart is. It comes down to where your, where your brain's at, where your hope's at. But also, I mean, come on, guys. We're people of prayer. And, uh, you know, we, we sometimes go, I know God loves me. I know He wants to take care of me. But sometimes we treat God like He's on a budget. Like He's only got so much... And if I ask for anything, I'm taking it away from the kids in Africa. And that's not very nice. Do you know God is able to feed you, the kids of Africa, and every human being who's ever walked the planet more than you can have? He's bigger than you thought He is. Thank God. I pray that He'd use us to reach those kids in Africa and to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. But the only way He's going to do that is if you're willing to ask for more than you've been asking. Because if you've just been asking for yourself, you don't have anything to feed the hungry. If you've just been asking for yourself just enough, then that's all you got. But here's what he says in Psalm 81.10. He says, open your mouth wide. He doesn't say open it a little bit. He doesn't say just budget your mouth just to touch. He doesn't say open your mouth wide. Now, I'll put some, I'll put some in it. He doesn't say I'll satisfy you. He says, I'm going to fill your mouth. Now, let's, let's think about this in practical terms. Practically, how do I open my mouth wide? Is that literally like going to God in prayer and going, ah, I think happening. Ah, Colgate total. 
Nothing. I mean, this doesn't seem to be working. Is that how you open your mouth wide to God? Is that how it works? No, apparently opening your mouth wide to God is about your faith, is about your expectation of God and what you ask for. Two things, expectation and what you're willing to ask for. You expect a lot from God, you open your mouth wide. You expect a little, you don't open it so wide. It's like I can't get filled because you didn't open it wide enough. God is not impressed with you putting Him on a budget. Now listen, I'm not talking about greed or selfishness. Because if you start doing that, you're seeking the wrong thing. If you're greedy, you're seeking something besides God. The reason people are greedy is because they don't trust God, right? Think about a guy like Scrooge. I know he's not real. But a guy like Scrooge says, I can't give anything away. I have to save as much and store and hoard as much. That's what greed is. I've got to hoard as much and can't give anything because if I start to, I won't have anything. If I start giving it, I'll have less. But when you have faith in God, you don't think that way. When you have faith in God, you go, I give, and, and it does not matter what my bank account looks like. I'm going to give as much as God tells me to give, and He'll take care of me. That's the opposite of greed. Greed wants to hoard it to yourself. Faith says, I'm a channel to the world. And you know what? The Bible says, Paul gives some great advice in his letters to Timothy. He says, People should not desire to be rich. That should not be where your heart's seeking. Desire meaning that's what you're seeking after. That's what you're chasing. Because here's what happens. He goes, if you start chasing rich, if that's your goal in life, he says people who desire to be rich fall into a bunch of traps and a bunch of snares. Why? Think about it. Let's put it practically. If your goal in life is not to enhance the kingdom, not to serve God, but your goal in life is to be rich then the next time you get a job offer that offers more money, doesn't matter if it takes you away from the Lord, doesn't matter if it takes you away from your family, you'll take it. Because it meets your goal. If your goal is to be rich when God says write a big check, you're not going to do it because it takes away from your goal of being rich. But if your goal is the kingdom, Jesus said seek first the kingdom and all of His righteousness. That's what you seek. That's what you desire. That's what you chase. He says, all of these things that the Gentiles are seeking, all of these things that they kill themselves for, all of the things they desire greatly, all of these things will be added unto you. You don't even have to worry about it. I'll take care of you. In that same letter to Timothy, he goes on and says this. He says, warn the rich not to put their hope in the deceitfulness of riches, but on God, who what? who richly supplies all things for us to enjoy. Does that sound like God that's on a budget? Sounds like He might want you to enjoy some of this. Now maybe you're getting super religious on me, and maybe you're saying, okay, well then I'll open my mouth wide, He'll fill it, and I will quickly regurgitate it to people who need it more than me. And that sounds real holy, and I'm sure you think you're going to get a merit badge for that. But uh, can we just do what the Lord says? He wants you to be a giver. He wants you, the Bible says here's what the righteous one does. He opens his mouth and he opens his hands freely to the poor. 
He extends His hand to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. You are meant to be a giver. But you know, when you're a giver, God also wants you to enjoy what He gives you. Don't set your heart on that. Don't let that be your desire. Don't let that be what you chase. But don't be guilty when God wants you to enjoy something because that's what He wanted to do for you. Don't feel guilty about it. If you're seeking the Lord, it's real easy to figure that out. You go, oh, am I seeking the Lord or am I seeking riches? It's easy to do a heart check. Just, just, just check real quick. What, what is my goal? What's my biggest desire? And you look at your heart and you still see, hey, I really want to serve the Lord. I, and, and there's nothing in your life that you're not willing to give. Think about it. Here's how you know whether something has you or you have it. If God told me to give it tomorrow, would I give it? Now, if there's something in your life that you say no, and I'm not talking about your kids, but if there's a thing in your life that you say, if God told me to give it tomorrow, I would not be able to give that away, then it's probably a good time to give it away because it's got you. It's got its hooks in you. Your faith needs to get ratcheted up a few levels. Don't give it unless God tells you to give it, by the way. <laughs> I don't want somebody coming to me tomorrow and go, I gave my house away, and uh, so I'm homeless now. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. I want you to hear the voice of God. And that's how you test your heart. You say, could I give it? If, I, if God told me to give it, could I give it? If he says give it, you're happy to give it. You freely give it. Um, and so here he says, open your mouth wide. Now this is not just talking about material things. It's not just talking about... Uh, things that you need. I mean, this is in many different areas. God wants to supply everything in your life. But your expectation of Him has to go up a bit. In fact, has to go up a lot. I have never yet seen anybody in the Bible get in trouble for asking too much. I have seen a few get in trouble for not expecting enough. God, I, I mean, read it and find a, you, see if you can find a verse but I can't find a verse where someone who actually loves the Lord is walking in his ways gets in trouble for asking too much of God the only time you see God rebuke them is when they're not relying on him when they don't expect anything of him he calls that unbelief and it's not good so we hear from the Lord we expect from God and he says this Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He says, here's what I'd love to do for you. I would love to feed you the finest of the wheat. Well, God, I mean, that's okay. I don't need the finest of the wheat. I'm just, a, I'm just the old country bumpkin. You give me the regular wheat, give the finest of the wheat to somebody else. Has it occurred to you that he's the one that makes the wheat? That he can make the wheat fine if he wants to? He can give you the finest of the wheat and still have fine wheat for somebody else. So we think that God, we put God on this budget and we go, well, God, I mean, I can't ask for that. I mean, I, I'm just going to ask for just enough. But do you realize that a penny and a thousand tons of gold is the same to God? It's the same effort for Him. He doesn't have to work harder. He's not having to take it away from somebody else. God is not distributing wealth. He's creating it. He's not distributing good things. He, uh, he's creating these good things. He's the one who owns it all. He knows where mountains are that still haven't been tapped for resources. Now, I think He can handle you asking for a bit bigger. I mean, we've even seen this with people that God wanted to heal. And they said things like, well, don't waste God's grace on me. I'm okay. As if God's got a storehouse of grace and it's running low. And, oh man, the word church is just draining me. 
and they're so greedy. They're asking for my power. And, and I only got so much because I, I, I took a weekend off and, and we're on a budget. That's not God. Let's look in Ephesians. You know where I'm going. Thank God. Ephesians chapter 3, of course. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. So what's it according to? According to means that's where it's coming from. That's how He's able to do it. If I'm going to write you a check, it's according to how much I have in my bank account. If I'm going to give you something, it's according to how much I have. But here He says He's going to grant you according to the riches of His glory. And if when you see the word riches here, you think of money, you're shooting way too low. Because the riches of His glory, when money burns up, when gold fades away, the riches of His glory are going to be way, way better. They're still way, way better. Do you know if you had nothing, you're walking around the world naked and got nothing, you're still richer than the biggest billionaire on the planet because you've got Jesus in you. And he says, according, here's what I'm going to grant you from. I'm not going to take it out of your bank account. I'm not going to take it out of your ability. I'm going to take it out of my, the riches of my glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. So if He's taken that power from the riches of His glory, how much do you think He has? If He's going to strengthen you with His power and it's according to His riches of glory, do you think it's just enough power? think it's just a little bit of power or a whole lot through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. God desires to fill you up. He is not budgeting. He's not portioning what He's going to put in you, how much power He's going to put in you, how much grace He has for you, how much of His Spirit. God wants to fill you up. It says this, Now to Him who is able. So there it is. Now to Him who's able. We'll settle that right on the front. He is able. To him who is able to do far more abundantly. I've said this before, but the far more abundantly is actually one big giant word in the original language. And abundantly is already more than you need. Right? If I were to give you lunch and it was an abundant lunch, that's more than you can fit in your belly. But he doesn't settle with that. He says... Far more abundantly, the King James says, exceedingly abundantly. If you look in the original language, it's like hyperabundantly, superabundantly. It's like a word that's made up just for this. Do you realize that? It's really hard to find that word anywhere else, even in secular literature. It's a word that's just pretty rare, but it's not found in any other place in the Bible. But, but we had to come up with a big word to match the greatness of God's ability here. 
He is able to do far more, exceedingly, hyper-abundantly, super-abundantly more than you can even ask. If that wasn't enough, it's hyper-abundantly more than you could even think. Like, God, here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you were to dream up the craziest amount, if you were to dream up the biggest thing that God could ever do, he's able to do way more than you were able to dream. So get this in your brain. No prayer that you could ever pray is bigger than God. Because your brain's not big enough to come up with that prayer. There will never be a prayer that's bigger than God. You can try for the rest of your life to come up with one. It doesn't exist. Now if you say, okay, fine then. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that tomorrow I'll be able to float to the moon. Well, God is also not your genie. And he's not just going to do those little things because you felt that that was a good way to test him. What does the Bible say? It says if we ask anything according to his will. So we know his will and we can ask according to his will. Explain to me how it's his will that you float to the moon. You'll probably die on the way, so don't worry about it. But when you get a revelation of his will and the knowledge of His will, and you seek Him, His will becomes part of you. That's what you desire. You desire what He desires. And then when you pray, you need to stop asking yourself, but, I mean, I'm praying for the right reason here. I'm praying because I want what God wants, but is this too big? Because that is a silly, silly question. He says He's able to do more than you could ever dream up. More than you're able to dream up. According, here's the, here's the freaky part, according to the power that works within us. Does this, does this catch on with you? That the power that's working within you, the power that God's placed inside of you, is more than your ability to understand? Is more than your ability to even think up? That's how much power He's put inside His Holy Spirit, inside of you. That's a big deal. To Him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Why are we talking about this? What does this mean? This means, guys, that we have to take limits off God, not only in our prayers, but in our expectations, our daily expectations. I want you to raise the bar for your expectations of God. I want you to have higher expectations of Him, because that pleases Him. When you've got high expectations, you're pleasing Him. When you've got low expectations, it shows that you're really not... I mean, number one, you're not really relying on Him. Number two, you don't really think He can do all of that. But when you've got high, huge expectations, God is pleased by that. And that's going to be reflected in your prayer. Could you dare to pray what sounds crazy to your brain? Could you dare to pray the things that you know are the will of God and as Jesus didn't ever pray a prayer that God didn't put in His mouth? So you're not having to come up with prayers this morning. I'm not telling you to come up with your own prayer. I'm telling you to hear the voice of God. But in order to hear the voice of God, you have to be unbiased. That's a truth that we all need to know. In order to hear the voice of God, I've got to go in unbiased. Right? So if, if I just, you know... If I just so wanted to go to California with Jared, and Jared says, come on, man, we're going to California. It's going to be a road trip. It's going to be so much fun. And I said, oh... Oh, I really want to go, Jared. I really want to go. I really want to go. Let me ask God first. And I go into that prayer time with God. And I go, God, I really want to go. I really want to go. I really want to go. What should I do? 
going to be very hard for me to hear an honest answer, right? God says, I don't think you should go. And by that, do you mean I should go later? No, I, I don't think you should go at all. Oh, you mean that I should take my car instead of his car? No, no, that's not what I said. I mean, you, you understand, when you've already made up your mind before you go in to ask of the Lord, you're not going to hear much from Him. But when you're able to clear your heart and clear your mind, and often, you know what a regulator is? That keeps you at a certain certain speed, keeps you at a certain gas mileage, and you've got that regulator on. It'll keep you from guzzling fuel, but it'll also keep you going as below a certain speed. I used to have a 50cc scooter. Now, you may laugh, but I was the only one driving my own vehicle with a learner's permit. So, joke's on everyone else here. So, I remember riding this scooter, and, and it barely ever went above 50. Barely ever. So, it's great for driving around town as long as it ain't going ring road, right? And so, you'd hear me coming now I figured out I could sound cool like I had multiple gears if I it only had one gear but if I worked the throttle right I could make it sound like it had multiple I went but I'm just really one gear and I'm just playing with it and uh, anyways so I'm, I'm at church and, and I'm talking to someone and I said you know I mean it, it goes it goes just fast enough in town I wish it would go faster and somebody said Oh, I could take the regulator off for you. You'd use a lot more gas, but it would go faster. I think it's illegal, but, you know, I can do it. <laughs> I said, nah, it's okay. I'm going to be fine. And it's probably a good idea that I didn't do that. But here's the point. A lot of times we go into prayer, we've got the regulator on. We've got God. We've set a certain bar for Him, and we've we've set a filter that, what he's going to say is going to be something that I can really wrap my brain around. And everything above that, you're not really hearing. But what if we went into prayer saying, God, just, just surprise me. God, expand my mind. I'm not saying to blow my mind, but expand it. Like, go way beyond what I expect. God, my expectations of you are lifted. God, I am, I'm not putting limits on you when I pray. Whatever you tell me to pray, this is how you should pray. You go to His Word, you find His will, but you also pray by the Spirit. And so you need to hear from Him, what should I pray right now? And be willing to hear what you're not ready to hear. Because here's what God may say, open your mouth wider. You say, God, my mouth is open wide. And He goes, not enough. You don't know how much I want to pour into you. You don't know how much I want to use you for. You don't know how much I want to do through you. Open your mouth and I will fill it. God's saying, expand your mind, expand your thoughts, because I'm able to do more than you could even dream up. That's not a funeral today. <laughs> That's not even a sad message. Come on, guys. We're not getting in trouble here. Thank God this is good news. We've been given the ability to pray with faith and let God tell you what He wants you to pray. Can you do that? And then He says, here's what I want you to do. Oh, I want you to open your mouth wide. The Israelites were not corrected for asking too much of God. They were corrected for not asking enough. 
love in Ezekiel 36. God lays out, I want to restore your cities. I want to build your farms again. I want, to, I want to set you free from your enemies. He tells them all the things He's going to do for them. And then He says this, These things I will let Israel ask me for. These things I'll let you ask. He doesn't say, I'm just going to do them. He says, all these things, this is what I want to do. Now I'm going to let you ask for it. So, what do they have to do? Ask for it. What about when he says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations? He doesn't say, I'm just going to give you the nations. He says, ask it of me. And then I'll give it. James says, some of you are so unhappy because you don't have. He says, a lot of you have not because you've never asked. Open your mouth wider. God does not say open it. He doesn't even say open it wider. He says open it wide. In other words, the maximum amount that you can expect from me, expect. And I will meet your expectations. God, wants, God will meet those expectations if they're expectations in faith. If they're founded in His Word and His will, He will meet them. And we think we're doing God a favor by putting Him on a budget. You are not doing Him a favor. Let the budget go. Let the restraints go. If we're saying, God, this is what I'm praying for. I want the church to be filled. Begin to pray for more than that. If you're saying, Lord, on that April 5th outreach to Loon Lake, I want this many saved. Raise the number. Think, and you go, that's impossible. This just not... I mean, I, you've got to think of the population. Let God tell you the number. Let God tell you what He wants to do. Because He shoots higher than us. We need to learn that. God shoots higher than people do. He created the universe. Think about what happened when Jesus came. Here's the idea of the Messiah. Their idea of the Messiah was that He'd just be a, an earthly king that would set them free from the Romans. But when Jesus came, He did so much more than that. When Jesus came, He did not come as a good teacher. He didn't come as a prophet, just as a prophet. He came and He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. And then He bore the sins of the world. And then if that weren't enough, He rose from the dead. Jesus had bigger expectations than they had. Let's turn to Matthew. We're getting near to the end of the track here. Don't think you're ever doing God a favor by shooting low. Because there's not a scripture in the Bible you can show me that says that's what He wants you to do. Does He want you to be content? Yes, He does. It says godliness with contentment is a means of great gain. When you're never satisfied with what God has given you, that's ungrateful. That's unfaithful. And that won't be blessed. Be satisfied. Be happy. Be thankful for what He's given you. But then hear and say, what now, God? I'm listening. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Now when he, she says, Son of David, that's his title as Messiah. Now David was a king of who? Israel, son of David, sent to the nation of Israel. Now, his throne extends beyond that. We know that now. But when Jesus first came, 
His mission was not to the every nation in the world. His mission was not to every continent, every, every country. His mission was to Israel. His church was meant to expand it to the rest of the world. But he came first to his own people. That was his mission. And it's, he says, she says, have mercy on me. She's Canaanite. She's not, she's not an Israelite. She's got no right to ask anything of him. She says, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. That doesn't sound like our Jesus, does it? He doesn't, even a- doesn't answer her. He's just like, mm, keeps, keeps walking. She's calling him son of David. She has no right to use that title with him. She's addressing him on a basis that she does not have a place to stand. She doesn't, she, that's not her right. He doesn't say a word. And his disciples came and implored him saying, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. That would get annoying, wouldn't it? This lady's shouting at us, send her away. But he answered and said, and he said this to the lady, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Only. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Are you of the house of Israel? No, I'm not. Then I'm not sent to you right now. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And here's where Jesus gets really nice. He answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. Jesus, that's not the picture of Jesus that's on the nursery wall. Where you're holding that lamb and you're friendly, just calls this lady a dog. Says, first of all, here's the cool part. He says, basically, freedom, deliverance, healing, that's the children's bread. It's what's rightfully theirs. But then he goes and says, but I can't just take, in other words, I came to them. This is there. I'm, I'm here for, is, for the people of Israel. And it's not right to take from their table and throw it to the dogs. That's <laughs> just not nice. But she said, yes, Lord. She doesn't start crying and go, Jesus, call me a dog. All right, I'm sorry. She says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, oh, woman, your faith is great. Your faith is great. That word great, I know it means the same thing. Spirit will tell you it means the same thing in English. Great is a good translation of the word. But I like to look at it, the original language, sometimes and see that it's the same word we get the word mega from, like mega faith. Oh, woman, you've got mega faith. You've got giant faith. And he only says this one other time to another Gentile. He never says this to anyone, any Israelites. He never says it to any Jews. This is only the, uh, the, the second person he ever says it to. He only says it to her and a centurion. And he says, oh woman, your faith is giant. It's mega. It's great. It will be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. See, Jesus was not impressed. Because she didn't expect much of him. She, he was not impressed with somebody that says, Oh, no bother. If I'm bothering you, I'll just go away. He was impressed with somebody that was willing to ask for something that wasn't even rightfully hers. He was impressed for somebody that was able to ask for something bigger than she should have asked for. That broke the rules because she believed in him. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's okay to break the rules. 
as Jesus showed. Sometimes, I know that's shocking, but sometimes there's something greater than the rules. And in this case, he says, you've got giant, great faith. It's done. It's done. Because you were willing to ask for something you shouldn't even ask for. When you get to prayer and you ask God and, and you feel like, oh, I, I just feel like I'm selfish or greedy. Examine your heart. Is that why you're asking? Are you asking because you are greedy or selfish? Because I don't think that's why you're asking. What drove you to ask? God. Was it seeking Him? Was it time with Him? Did it come out of your head or did it come out of your spirit? Because if you continue to beat yourself up for everything you've ever asked of God, you're going to stop asking and you won't ask in faith. You'll be so ashamed every time you come to God that there'll be no faith in what you ask. And you'll be double-minded. And James says, if you're double-minded, you don't get anything. Can you come to God and be brazen and bold enough to expect more of Him than you think you could? Than you think you have the right to expect from Him? Because guess what? You don't have the right to ask anything of Him without Jesus. Without Jesus, we're just like this lady. You've got no right to ask anything of God. But Jesus Himself gave you the right to come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in the time of need. And when He describes that help, when He describes the power, when He describes the Spirit, He doesn't describe it in tiny little bits. He says He gives it without measure. He says He gives it more than you could ask or think. He says it's according to the riches of riches of His glory. Not just the storage of His glory. Not just the, the area of His glory. But the riches of His glory. Can you ask for more? Can you expect more? Can you take limits off of God and let Him put inside of you what you need to ask? Because here's the problem. We've treated God like He's a man, but He's not. We've treated Him like He's limited, but He's not. Go to Him and say, You're bigger than I thought you were. Enlarge my heart. Enlarge my mind. Let me ask for bigger things. What do you want? Because all this time we thought it was holy to say, God, we don't need anybody else. But Lord, if you just bless us. Oh God, we don't, we don't need anybody else to get... Uh, I mean, to come into the church. I know it's just a little group, but you're, you like little groups. Or you say, Lord, I know that my family's doing pretty good. I don't want to be selfish here. And you've put limits on God that He never put on Himself. He thinks bigger than you. He dreams bigger than you. Have you ever considered that He's got bigger plans for you than you have for yourself? If we would go to Him and just say, all right, what? What do you want me to ask for? Remember, he, this is what He did. This is how Jesus prayed. He let the Father tell Him what to pray. This is how He says in Ezekiel 36, here's what I want you to have. Now ask me for it. This is how God prays with us. Like us with a little kid. You know when you teach your little children to pray? And they go, what do I pray for? And you go, well, let's pray for the food. Let's pray. This is how God treats you. He wants to sit you down. And you say, okay, God, what do I ask you for? And he goes, here's my dream. Let me lay it out for you. And you go, God, that's crazy. God, that's too big. And he goes, just ask. Let me worry about how big it is. Just ask me for it. Then you'll know, hey, I, I let him come up with his own thing. 
I didn't come up with this. He came up with this. I'm just asking for what he told me to ask for. God takes pleasure in high expectations. I want you to go into this next week and say, my expectations of God are big. I've got high expectations of God. My expectations for Him are giant, are mega, are great. I've got so big expectations that, that, I mean, I can't imagine I ever thought He was as small as I did. Let Him dream big in you. Let Him expand your heart. Let Him expand your mind. Let Him expand your field of vision. And ask for big things.